Hi there. Thank you so much for checking out Living Well While Living Online. I will be your hosting guide, and my name is Tammy Riley. I work as the Director of Fitness and Wellbeing at Quinnipiac University, and I've been in the fitness and wellness industry for the past 26 years. Now, before we dive into any more about this podcast, I want you to just understand that you don't have to live your life completely online to benefit from the conversations that we're going to have. I promise that there are tips and tricks and insights that will benefit all of us to living a better life, whether we're Um, predominantly online or whether we're out in the trenches doing the work. Self-care is so important and that will be the crux of our conversation with all of our guests regardless of where they're coming from. Welcome to this episode of Living Well While Living Online. I am your host, Tammy Riley, and I am so grateful that you are taking time today to spend with us. I'm also super excited to bring one of my very favorite students of all time, and I'm probably not supposed to say that, just like a mom shouldn't have favorites, but Dr. Lauren Gestahl is definitely one of my favorite humans, um, and especially one of my favorite students that I always hold dear in my heart. Um, Lauren jumped early onto the fitness and wellness bandwagon with us at QU as an undergrad and really helped to shape our program, really had a strong hand in defining where we went, not only with the program and the classes, but also with our students. She's just been an incredible role model and mentor, oh my gosh, to so many of our of our Quinnipiac students. And I'm so happy to be able to share her with you. And I know you're going to fall in love as well. Um, so welcome, Lauren. Thank you, Tammy, for such a generous introduction. That was very mean <laughs> of you. <laughs> well, it's true. And as the host of a podcast, you get to be selfish. And so even though I know you have amazing things to share, selfishly, I wanted to spend time with you. And if people knew the behind the scenes of learning how to do a podcast, like Lauren and I have really <laughs> been together all day. I'm not lying. It's taken us many hours to make this one work, which is uh, which is fine because I actually feel like I got to spend the day with her. And uh, she's going to tell you a little bit about herself, including where she is. She's definitely not sitting in Hamden, Connecticut with me in my kitchen. Uh, she is kind of far away and we've been playing with time zones and she's been so willing to give her time. So thank you still ever, ever generous. <laughs> You're welcome, Tammy. It's my pleasure. Quinnipiac yeah. community that's near and dear to me. So when you asked me to be on this podcast, I was flattered and very excited. Can you please tell people listening a little bit about you and your life? Absolutely. So I am a graduate of Quinnipiac. I finished my undergrad there in 2012, which we just went back and did the years. And then my doctorate of physical therapy Uh, in 2015. So I spent six and a half wonderful years at Quinnipiac. I got to know Tammy through the fitness community. Um, I was an RA for many years. So Quinnipiac is definitely very special to me. Since graduation, I've moved around and I'm currently residing in San Luis Obispo, California, where I'm working as a travel physical therapist and a telemedicine provider at this time. So pretty exciting that you have this opportunity to do telemedicine, and I'm excited to to kind of work that into the scheme of what we're doing. But you know, I I obviously I know you, and I know fitness and wellness has always been important to you, just like to me. But it's been so interesting at this time, you know, the things that we have to remind ourselves of on a daily basis, right? We've always been really good at taking care of ourselves, and that's been a priority. But it's been interesting to see how everything has evolved over the last few months and shifted. Um, how 
how we do that and don't do that. So I'd love to be able to engage you with some questions and see how this has come up for you and sort of what's what's been happening, you know, in your life as we did do this shift and now you're a telehealth provider. So that's quite different than I'm sure you thought when you were graduating graduate school. And you and I are both lovers of people and connecting with people. So it's a little bit of a stretch when you're doing this virtual thing. So just in general, my first question is, uh, you know, your life normally, like, you know, under typical circumstances as a physical therapist and and even in your your sort of side gig, your part-time gig that you now really work so well into your physical therapy as a Pilates instructor and, and leading fitness and wellness. Um, what was that typical, I guess, day or week look like versus what's happening now in your in your time and how you're spending it? Absolutely. So uh, before everything happened in this year, um, I was working primarily as a home health physical therapist. So going into homes and treating patients um, that have phys physical therapy needs in their homes. And um, at that time, I actually wasn't teaching. I had left an area where I was teaching about once or twice a week um, in Providence, Rhode Island. But then when I got out here um, on a travel contract, my intention was to be in San Luis Obispo only for a few short months, which turned into eight months. Um, you know, graciously because I had a job and I was able to stay on, which was great. Um, so before all of this happened, I was treating in homes and, um, you know, doing Pilates on my own and kind of building my knowledge base there, taking courses. Um, but since then, it has definitely changed. So you, though, you as a physical therapist and in this role with your contract, you did not all of a sudden start delivering telehealth through that contract. You were going into home still. Yeah. So throughout um, the last seven months, because I got here in January up until I was in, um, up until my contract ended in July, I was still going into homes and providing physical therapy services. So there was a there was definitely a large transition period where, you know, shortages on personal protective equipment was an issue. Um, patients having concerns about individuals coming into their homes and potentially spreading infection was an issue. So making sure we were following safe guidelines um, and then continuing to educate our patients and families because as we entered these homes, we would have to then go to another patient. So just trying to educate families to try to keep us safe to keep the next patient safe um, was really important when I was treating throughout you know, the last seven months. And so I also know that I know you. You kind of are able to go with the flow. You, you know, not, not that we don't get stressed or we don't get anxious. We always do. But I feel like, you know, in, in working with you and dealing with you, you don't show that on the outside, right? And you can kind of handle things as they come. But did you feel that you were handling things the way Dr. Lauren Gestell normally does? Or were you like, I don't know, I hear that and I'm thinking, oh my God, you were in the trenches. You were going into homes. Like, how are you feeling? It was definitely a roller coaster. It was up and down. I had some solid leadership, honestly, through my mom as a nurse. Um, she was working in a COVID positive hospital and we would consistently exchange information about, you know, policies and procedures there in Boston, which made me feel a little bit more sound. Um, I have my great network of physical therapy friends all over the place, um, LA, Colorado, Massachusetts. And we were doing our, you know, Zoom calls and our FaceTimes and 
getting together. And it was wild to hear what they were all dealing with in different clinical settings. Um, but that's kind of how I had to find my community. Um, being a home health provider, you do have a network of people that you work with, but you are out seeing people alone every day. So I think fostering my you know, medical community amongst friends and family helped to keep me sane. And then just finding a routine during that time that made me feel like I was doing the best I could to keep my patients safe. Yes, I love that word. And I've talked about this with, with my other guests and, and even in my own episode that for me, the thing that really grounded me and helped me move through, which it still is a roller coaster every day, but but it is the routine and the idea of routine. So I guess what are things that your normal routine entail that really that you think really help you as far as your self-care or your well-being or that really helped you through this time? Yeah, so as a provider, some of the things that I would do to help me feel like I was, you know, protecting patients and myself was honestly like the cleaning routine, getting home, taking off my scrubs immediately, putting them into the washer, you know, instead of going through my front door that is shared by my roommate and I going through a back door that was just me, leaving my shoes outside, cleaning my equipment. It was things like that, you know, picking the personal protective equipment that I had because there was a shortage, you know, for individual patients, you know, knowing when I really needed a clean mask versus when I could reuse. So there was kind of of the clinical practices for me that helped just make me feel like I was doing right by my patient. Mm. And then of course, there's the whole other umbrella that lives like how I keep myself whole so that I can do my job. So yeah. And tell us about that, please. Yeah. So <laughs> I always resort back to movement. I've tried a lot of stillness, mindfulness meditation, and I always feel the best one foot in front of the other. So for me, getting out and walking, you know, there's some trails local, which I'm so lucky to have, which they didn't close, which was really great out here. So getting outside, taking walks, making sure I was getting adequate sleep, good food, um, and making time to really decompress and to be honest with myself about how I was feeling. That That's big for me. Instead of just pushing through um, and just getting it done, I think I've learned over the years that I do need to kind of sit and process and think about what this means, you know, to myself and to my family and my friends um, and how I can work through that versus just kind of shutting it down and moving forward. Yeah, I think you and I are similar in that we can really shut something down and just keep going. And, and, and not that we're not dealing with it, but it's like, it's over here. So it's okay. And as long as I'm moving that, that key. And, and so Lauren and I interacted in so many levels on campus, but Lauren was a graduate assistant for me at the time. She could also be what they called a CA. So she was like above an RA. She was mentoring them. She was mentoring my students. She was meeting with them like at seven in the morning to do sunrise yoga, this whole little group that she sort of took under her wing. Right. Do you remember like having this whole group? Oh my gosh. It's like, she could literally do a thousand things and make it look like, you know, Oh, no big deal. So I know that, you know, you have that ability. So it's really important when you're faced with, um, you know, we'll say like adversity or or just this little bit of um, what the heck is going on to be able to process and take that step back and see that we're ready, that we need that. And I think that's a, a hard lesson to learn, right, in general. Absolutely. And there was, there was a time too where um, 
It was said by a medical professional, I think on one of the, you know, informational podcasts I was listening to, and they just, you know, really encouraged providers and people to be alert, but not anxious, you know, to be Mm. informed, but not to spend so much time on that information that it sent us down a road where we felt totally overwhelmed by it. So, you know, what are the guidelines right now? What are they saying we can do to do, you know, the best we can to prevent the spread of disease? You know, how can I take care of myself? And I just really tried to be aware and alert, but not let it go to that level of, of worry or anxiety. Yeah. Which clearly you could have going into people's homes and like, you know, you and I kind of pre-talked earlier, you have no idea what you're walking into and who's being compliant and who's not being compliant and then how you're going to face with that. So it, it becomes like a whole other dialogue of like your own health and well-being when you're walking in there and you're, you're on the front lines essentially. Yeah, it was definitely challenging, but, um, like I said, having good like leadership, almost, you know, there was a lot of good stuff that came from my company, but I really felt like just like having my mom as a, you know, a nurse at Boston Medical Center and my friends at wonderful prestigious medical centers getting really good information, like just having the knowledge of like, how can we do this best with what we have, like allowed me to do it. And, um, knowing that the services I provide as a physical therapist, helping people walk again and be able to independently use the bathroom and things that are so vital to just being able to safely stay at home. It was motivating to continue to go out and to see them and to try to get them at a level in which they could be in their community and their home safely. Yeah. Doing what you, doing what you set out to do essentially. So, so you had a different circumstance in the sense that it's not like you got dismissed from a job or furloughed or laid off. Like you had a contract as a traveling PT, you had extended it or it was extended. They begged you to stay and you did. Um, But then, you know, end of July, enough was enough and you were ready. So, so you did that. It was really intense. It was eight months. you sort of got through the, the first initial push of all of these changes and now you're on sabbatical until the next thing comes up. So, so like you wake up, I want to know, like you, your contract ended, you were like, bye everyone. Thank you. And then you wake up and how did it feel? Like, what does it feel like now? It, I mean, honestly, it feels really good. It feels <laughs> like I have a little bit more liberty to just breathe um, because of the population I was treating and what I was doing. I felt like I couldn't take any risks about going out or doing anything or as things open back up, you know, even like going to get my first haircut, I was, you know, like, Oh, is this really a smart idea? Do I really need to get this done? Because I'm going to, you know, next week be back in a patient's home. So, um, it was like a calm of like, okay, I can act now just considering myself and those people that I interact with, you know, like on a social or recreational basis, which felt much better. And then of course, you know, with every giving profession, whether you're giving in a fitness studio or in a hospital or, you know, there is a time where sometimes it feels so good to just shut it down and give back to yourself. There's just magic in that. That's irreplaceable. Absolutely. You know, you know all about that magic. Um, You also bring up such a great point that as a healthcare provider, even in, you know, our best of times, no matter what's happening, we tend to give, 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 give. We also take on a lot, right? We become the therapists and counselors, you know, even as a fitness professional that happens to us, right? Your person comes in, you're like, Hey, how are you today? And their, their face tells you like, you need to ask more and, and, you know, you need to be there to listen. So when we're taking on all of this, what have you learned over the years that sort of helped you to not, I guess, carry it, right? It's okay to listen and to acknowledge and to to empathize and be compassionate, but we can't let it fill our own self too. So do you have any 
tricks or tips for how you sort of separate that to keep yourself in a good place? Yeah, so I think that is a an ever changing, ever growing process. Um, and it depends on like how full your tank is. And I, I go back to this really great book I read. Um, I forget what it was called, but it was like, you know, you have two scales and your first scale is like either like the amount of stress you're feeling or maybe the amount of grief you're feeling. And that's from zero to 10. And then there's this subscale underneath it and it's your ability to handle it. So again, zero to 10. So maybe your stress levels and how much you feel like you're carrying is a nine, but your ability to handle it is a nine. So that day is going to be okay. But when your scales get tipped the wrong way, where your stress is high and your ability to handle is low, for me, just using that as a self check-in, like, where am I at today? How much space do I have? You know, professionally, you can't really shut it down, but sometimes, you know, you can say, Hey, you know, and you can redirect a little bit so that the session becomes still positive, but maybe you don't have all of that room to, to listen and absorb and, and process that. So I think I, in a clinical setting, it's an acknowledgement of what something is going through. It's the display of empathy, right? Because people want to relate and they want to feel like they're being heard, but then it's still trying to get the session to go back in a positive light or in a light that they're feeling like they're being productive in a space um, to still get better. So how much do I have to give? Can we still make this a positive interaction? Um, And then something for me that I've started that I was really not good at, but this year has kind of opened my eyes to it is journaling. When something really heavy happens, like I, you know, I call my sister or like, you know, call a friend and I, you know, I just need to get this out. But as a human, you also feel like you want to respect your people in your life as, you know, their energy is also very important. So sometimes I'll just go home and I will write it all out. You know, we lost a patient today and how heavy is that? Or, you know, someone told me something that just like shook me to the core because maybe I can relate to that because something like that has happened in my life. And if I just write it all out, it's almost like when you say it out loud, it just lets me kind of reset. Yeah, I I agree. I feel like when you do that, when you get it out, it's like it has a place to land. So it's not as it's almost like it's not as frantic in your own body, right? So it has a landing spot. It's now outside of you. And even though you feel that, right? And you are still upset or like just in shock of what you've heard. It, it's on this page now. And it's, I, I look at it as a way to like almost purge, right? It's purging out of yeah. you and then it it can become separate. And so just for me, I know just, I love that you said that because that is that, that space that I sometimes need when you take in other people's things. Like, well, how can I keep myself safe and put my guard up a little bit when I get home to not be consumed by this horrible tragedy or the circumstance and it is to write it down. And so it exists there and I see it, but I don't have to, you know, carry it with me all the time because gosh, we carry enough with us on a daily basis, right? Just with our own stuff. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I have another question and we've talked a little bit about this, but I know you love to move like the idea of self-care using that word, especially if maybe if you had a client or you are a great big sister. So maybe if, you know, years ago when you were mentoring and chatting with your little sister, what, what would self-care, what does it mean to you? Like how, how does that manifest? How does it show up? What does it mean? Because I think it's different things for so many people. Yeah. So, you know, I think for me, self-care goes back to like the things that I love. So, you know, we talked about it already, but like movement is a really big one. Um, And this is something that like, 
I've shared with friends and maybe my sister, I'm not sure at this point, but I always carry like a little list of like what fills me up, what makes me feel good, what makes me happy. And I have that list in my journal. And if it's a really stressful day, I'll just go back to that. What do I need? Do I need to read a book? Do I need to go for a run? Do I need to go sit by the water and just have a good cry? Right? You know, what is it that has been a good release for me in a healthy way um, that I can go back to. So self-care for me, it, it looks different depending on my energy levels, but typically it's it's movement, it's reading, it's it's downtime, or even just like cooking a healthy meal. So I, I kind of have my little list and I'll drop back and, um, you know, what do I need to do to just feel better? Yeah. I love the idea of a list. And it's so funny. It's your, it's ourselves, right? So you're like, I should know these things, but somehow we do need to look at a list just like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I forgot that that's what fixes me. It's simple, you know. Absolutely. Um. <laughs> um, there's, I forget where I read it or who suggested it, but using kind of like that five senses. So mm -hmm. um kind of off topic, but being that we've transitioned to doing a lot of screen time and a lot of phone time and we live, you know, through, you know, different avenues of social media. I was recently on a trip and when you see something beautiful, you just go to like pick up your phone and like snap a picture because, you know, you want to remember it. So I've been using my five senses, like what do I smell? What do I hear? What do I see? What do I taste? What do I feel? And feel sometimes is physical or, you know, I'll put an emotion to it. And I am trying to make myself go through those five senses to like remember it with my mind and my spirit a little bit more than just with a picture on a phone. So I think I've also started to use that somewhat when it comes to stressful situations as well. Wow. That's really beautiful. And it's funny because you earlier were like, I'm a mover and I'm not good at the meditation and the whatever, but you are like, that's it right there. That's the like, that, it's so funny that you say that because I'm like, well, maybe, but I have to have an active process with which just to just sit there quietly, like actually makes me more on edge. So I have to be like, all right, let's do these five things and take the five breaths and then, okay, we're good. So you figured out a way to do moving meditation and make it work. Um, but I, I love this because so many of us, and I'm guilty of this too, and and I'm a picture taker. Like in my next life, I just want to be a photographer, whether it's faces. I love to sit on the side of a road and take pictures of people that they don't even know or whether it's nature, anything. I really love to take pictures. And then I, you know, we have our phones at, at, with us at any second. So no matter where we are, especially in this time, you know, you're taking pictures, of, oh, whether it's your food or anywhere you go, anyone you meet. But um but are we really seeing it, right? So I often ask myself, and I've had to take a step back and say, you don't need a picture of it to, to remember it. Like I have to remind myself, like, it's okay. It's okay. I was confessing to Lauren earlier that I have these hummingbirds. I think you're probably going to hear about my hummingbirds in every episode because I'm sitting at my desk, which is my kitchen right now, and I can still see my plants. And they come every day. And like instantly I was telling her, I have my camera right next to it. I'm like, click, click, click. And the other day I was like, put the camera down. You can't, you don't have to take a picture every time they come by, but I feel like oh, they're so gorgeous and I need to photograph them, but I could just sit and watch them. And that's what this is. Is what you're saying, that reminder, like to see there, okay, I obviously I don't want to close my eyes in that moment, but what am I sensing? What is it like? Um, I, I think that that is definitely something I could be better at for sure. Um, I'm sure that lots of people would agree with me that we, we don't live as much by our senses, which is primal. 
right? That's, you know, that's how the animal world lives. They know no other way. So we've moved so far off the spectrum of, of our instinctual ways. Um, so this is definitely a reminder of how to come back. Um, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That's huge. Um, you mentioned also within that same little thing, the idea of energy. So yeah, we're online more, we're on social media more. And this is even more, I'm just going to say more, even as you were a college student, like that was the prime evolution of, of things we did in person and social media was just growing and developing and how that whole piece was grown and how your education had, right? So all of that was like at that cusp of everything is more and more online and we're more and more virtual with everything. And now obviously in this time we have to be even more so. So what is it, you know, do you feel a difference? I don't even, it's so hard to word this, but for me, it's, it's an energetic thing when I'm spending time online. Right. And so I'm with a computer and how it makes me feel, what it costs me and what I need to replenish. So just thinking about that without me, you know, putting words into your mouth, uh, about how it feels like, do you notice any change? Like you are, you're the outdoor woman. Like you'd rather be in front of a waterfall than, you know, sitting at a computer doing anything. Right. I know that about you. So what does this energetically, I guess, cost or feel like? Yeah. I, I suppose it depends on, you know, what you're doing. So if I'm doing something that's considered fun, like if I've said, all right, put down everything else, like just go and watch a show and have some laughs and enjoy, like it can actually feel pretty good. Um, if I get down a rabbit hole of trying to research or like, you know, like we were today sitting here trying to <laughs> started, like you just feel like, gosh, we already had this wonderful conversation. We should have just hit record and it would have been great. So you know, I think there's like, if there's the struggles that drain you and then there's the things that reset you and it's good. And, um, I can't deny what we were talking about earlier. It does foster a sense of connection, maybe not the ideal connection that, you know, we like to have, especially as, you know, care providers and people who perform fitness and wellness, because the hands-on is so good. Energy in a room is so great. Um, but teaching virtual Pilates, lately. And, you know, I have friends and family in that group and old clients in the group. And, you know, I was saying at the beginning of last class, like we have people from all over the U.S., like Philadelphia and Massachusetts and California and Florida. And I was like, this is so exciting. I don't know if I could have ever done this without the use of technology. So I think it depends on what I'm doing will depend on how I feel. But, you know, there are definitely times where I've gone down a rabbit hole and you pick your head up and an hour has gone by or something and you think, God, what am I doing this for? You know, yeah, I got to, I'll, <laughs> I'll, nev- I'll never get that hour back. <laughs> yeah. I was really thinking the other day, I wonder how many minutes of my life I've spent on Instagram. I don't even want to know. <laughs> I don't want to know. And I'm even of the generation, right? Where it wasn't even that big when we were in college. <laughs> Guilty pleasure, right? Uh, Same for me. Like I told you, I'm like, I'm the old timer. And so learning all of this takes an extra step and just trying to finagle and deal with it all. I feel like um, I really had to grow another brain to figure out today. I mean, God, Lauren, we could joke about this the whole entire time, but we really, it was a little bit like, why is this? Why can we not make this work? Like that is where the energy feels like it's being sucked out of you. And 
anything that you're doing costs you like hours, even though it wasn't hours, it was a little bit of time. But, um, but then again, you're so right. Like being able to, I love that, you know, you can be in across the country and your mom can still enjoy Pilates with you and her crew. And that is really special. Um, so let's segue into that piece. Like you are kind of just starting the telemed part, which you were explaining a little bit earlier to me and you can explain just how it all happened and came about. Um, but it is newer and it's not like, oh, I don't have a job, so I'm going to do this. You you were already kind of considering. So just take us on that little piece and what you think it will, what doors it'll open and how it will help you with this new virtual space that we're in. Yeah. So I, in February, so I was only a month and a half into my contract, kind of started thinking as I do, you know, what will be next? What would I like to do? And I started to explore some of the telemedicine platforms out there for physical therapists. And I came upon this platform called Maven. And Maven is a telemedicine platform for women and their families. And it really focuses on um, perinatal and postpartum health. It's like a lot of their population. And I applied and I was like, well, let me throw in an application and see what happens. And because of what happened with COVID, with all the layoffs and things like that, they just got inundated with applicants. So it ended up being that I didn't actually see my first client on there until about a week ago. Hmm. So it took from February, yeah, all the way until July wow. for me to actually see a client, which, you know, there was an extensive application process and things like that. And they have to upload your profile and that all takes time. But um, yeah, so moving into that space, I do feel like you can get a lot done with clients because a lot of what a physical therapist does is education and connection. Mm. You know, it's a lot of watching people move and trying to facilitate the best way that they can move to either avoid pain or prevent pain. Um, so we can do a lot of that with, you know, verbal cueing. The tactile is very important. The hands-on, I think, is still irreplaceable. But it has been almost a challenge and like a fun challenge to see a patient online and then say, okay, like, how can we get this to happen with what you have in your house? Like, do you own a foam roller? Do you have a chair with a back? Like, what do you got? Like, can you make some room so you can get on the floor? And then they're holding the phone and they're like, I don't like this angle. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. Did yeah. you, um, and I'm going to have you talk more, but did you ever, I can't remember if you did any of the trips that we would, the PTs would do on, were you in the Guatemala or Nicaragua? Nicaragua trip? No, dear friends that have done it, but I didn't go. Right. It's that experience in general, right? You go to a room and you're like, oh, do you, what do you have? Okay. You have a string, a zipper and a piece of, you know, bedding. Okay. Here's what we're going to make. P I feel like PTs are so good at looking at objects and creating things. So this is really uh, challenging you in a whole new way, I guess. Absolutely. And it, you know, Mariana DiMaggio was one of the girls that has always gone to Guatemala. And I found myself uh, two months ago, literally FaceTiming her at a client's house with the client's permission being like, I need to make these wheelchair modifications. I've got like, pool noodles and duct tape and like this cushion. Like, what do I do? <laughs> okay. And so I'm making sure that uh, Dr. Maureen Helgren gets this episode and she's going to cry when she hears that, that Mar was helping you with pool noodles, fix a wheelchair over with your telemed health. It's, it's like her dream come true. <laughs> So, you know, you just get crafty. You just have to make it, you just have to make it work. <laughs> That's awesome. So it's interesting, right? Because it develops skills that you didn't know you had to hone, right? You could have never said, oh, how could I, what should I be better at? Oh, using all these random things. But, but it's something now that you're using as a skill, right? So being able to look at an object and size it up and think about how you can create something else. So really it's, 
you know, in many ways, adding to your portfolio of, of things that you can do as a PT, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. And you'll be offering Pilates through Maven as well, which is great. So now you are getting back into teaching and it'll be virtual. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a really wonderful platform and they take um, providers in and you can run wild with what you want to offer. And a lot of companies will use it as a service that they offer to their employees when they are pregnant, um, or it's just a cash pay service that anyone can jump on and ask questions and try to find providers. And it is, I think, pretty affordable. They also do a really great, being that this is a Quinnipiac podcast, um, university membership. Mm. University membership for females is a discounted membership where I think if you, you know, select whatever level you can get unlimited services on there, mental health, OBGYN, physical therapy, things like that. So I'm really excited to to keep going on there. Yeah. And for those uh, listening that may not understand, can you just really briefly talk about the connection between Pilates and physical therapy? I just don't want people to think, you know, like it's like offering Zumba and you're just, and I, I don't mean to dismiss Zumba, like it's more fun and it's just fitness. Like this really has implications for your clients. Um, and so maybe just briefly how all of that intertwines in what you do. Oh yeah. So you know, I did a lot of different fitness stuff through you mm-hmm. and Quinnipiac and um, movement has always just been my medicine and spinning and yoga. And, you know, I was looking for something after I graduated that kind of resonated with, you know, the same movement patterns and lessons that I'm teaching in the clinic. And I found this wonderful um, physical therapist out of Washington, D.C. in Alexandria, Virginia, um, who is a physical therapist. Her background is in neuro. So, you know, the functions of the brain and the spinal cord and how it connects to our movement. And she had created this, this offshoot of Pilates. And it's really based a lot in, you know, physical therapy concepts, as well as Pilates concepts. And, you know, Pilates is about deep core strengthening, um, you know, gluteal muscle strengthening and balancing the body. So when we work a muscle group, we then want to stretch it and lengthen it. And Joseph Pilates wanted us to create, you know, balanced, beautiful bodies that could function in any environment. And when I heard his, you know, philosophy and movement, I thought, oh my gosh, that's a physical therapist. Yeah. So, yeah. um, after taking that training and, and, you know, watching how, uh, Dr. Megan Brown does her classes, it was just like, this symphony was going off in my head. It was like, you know, these are the things that I do with, with clients. And, um, you know, these are, you know, how I can make the programs even better and how I can teach it well. Um, and it's just been a wonderful merriment for me. And I do find myself teaching Pilates concepts to every single client, whether I want to call it Pilates or physical therapy, there's so much interwoven science. Um, it's been pretty magical. Yeah. I feel like that happens with a lot of movement. Like you, you're not intentionally teaching a fitness class, but you're all of a sudden noticing that you're using the same moves and similar language to treat your client because, because it works because it is moving the body. And especially like your clientele of women, um, you know, with pregnancy, um, and just the way our bodies change when we age and just trauma that we may have had, you know, the pelvic floor, people have so many pelvic floor issues. And so Pilates really is an amazing, um, combination for you to be able to offer. I just think it, you know, even elevates you uh, again, another part of your resume that you can kind of marry these two things together and really deliver kind of everything to your clients, right? You can be the personal trainer and the PT at the same time, um, which is really nice. It's, yeah. it's really fun. And I used to have like such giggles and like eye rolls out of 
the physical therapist that would take my classes at Quinnipiac because we would learn something in class and then I would just try to teach it in the fitness class. He'd be like, oh, God, this is not why we come to class. Like, stop teaching us this stuff. But it just would go together. And as a PT, where you assess movement, like, you know, you walk into a room and all of a sudden you have these people doing these movements and you think, God, we got to work on this for this person. We should really work on this for that person. And then, you know, you have this plan for class and it's out the window because you're just watching how people move and you're like, well, we got to do something different here because, you know, you want to treat them at the same time. Yeah. For, for people who don't know, that's the sign of a skilled instructor. So she had it innately because uh, she threw her class plan to the window and, and looked at what she saw. Right. And so, so many people just, you know, they'd be like, yeah, 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 I see that, but I have a plan and we're going to move on with the plan and, and do this. So that, that also takes a huge skill to be able to be an instructor that does that. Well, <laughs> I, had good men- I had good mentorship to teach me that a long time ago. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, okay. So I love you've talked about, you know, you call your sister and you've definitely called your mom, but in your time of not like, oh my God, I need COVID advice. And oh my God, I need like PT advice. And your time of like, I need Lauren, I need advice for Lauren. Like I need, um, you know, support in some way or something. Do you have a go-to? Do you have a person? Like, who do you rely on? Who's oh, your- yeah. I have been so very blessed to have some really wonderful people in my life, male and female friends. Um, but the crew I always think of now is just that, that group of PTs that I always go back to. Jordan, Kim, Mariana, the four of us have done some pretty amazing, wonderful girls trips. And we've got, you know, the group text thread and you're having a bad day, you have a good idea, You something came up that you thought was funny. And um, those three have just fostered such a loving environment for me as a human being to always just be myself as messy or as, you know, good as you're going to show up that day. And they're just going to, you know, not to get lofty with the language, but just hold space yeah. for me as a person and a friend. And um you know, just share the experience and to just be there and, and to sit through it. You know, they're not fixers. They're just people to kind of witness and experience and love through the whole thing. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's just huge. Just what you said, not fixers. And I think that's, what's important because I think when we look at the support system, we oftentimes think there's someone who is going to fix it for us. And we go to with that intention, like, again, I'm going to say like a mom, like call, I'm going to call my mom cause she's going to fix it. Right. But that, you know, then we get older and we realize that, you know, things don't fix that way. And to find the right group or environment where they will just hold the space and let it be. And you don't walk away with the expectation that someone is going to fix it for you, but it's okay. That's, that's huge. And I feel like getting to that space in your life is really important, right? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Mar sent me this amazing quote and I'm not going to come up with who it was, but she sent me a postcard and the quote was, it was longer, but the main thing was like, you know, I'm going to be my best boyfriend that I've ever had. And I'm going to wine and dine myself. And, you know, it talked about all the things you can do for yourself. But at the end, it was like, I'm going to ask myself, like, what do you need? Like, Mm -hmm. what do you need? And then like, you know, think about it, what do you need? And then go do that. And don't feel guilty doing it because you can't do anything else until you take care of yourself. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I love how all this happens because that's definitely like part of the dialogue that 
integrates on my list. And organically, it happened with my two girls that I interviewed last week, my, some of my besties in my, in my little sacred space. But um, the idea of taking care of yourself, like you do have to be that person. So my next question really was, are you good at being your own friend? You know, just, just that little quote, you know, are, but are you good at it? Like, is it something that's on your list or can you do it? Yeah, I think I'm learning how to. I think I just turned 30. I've had some experiences in the last few years or 10 years that has just really taught me you can have this wonderful network of people to surround you and love you. But at the end of the day, like the person looking back in the mirror is you and um, you have to like that person. And if you don't like that person, you have to, to work at it until you do. And then you have to take really good care of that person. And I think I know it in theory, but I think it's a process that's um, that'll be with me forever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, for sure. I, I love all of that. Um, okay. So just looking forward and we're going to maybe come back to that little piece in a second as we're starting to wind things down, but, uh, you know, things are going to change. You're going to be doing more telehealth as your clientele grows with your new program. Who knows where you're going to end up if you sign another contract, what that'll look like for you. But I guess moving forward, you know, having had this whole situation now behind you and you've sort of left that workspace and that whole environment, obviously we didn't leave COVID. We're still living through, but you're looking in the next section. So, you know, four months, five months, what do you hope to be able to do better moving into that? What do you need to remind yourself? Like, what do you need to do to really show up for yourself? You know, when that next, whatever it feels like starts, starts to happen. I think, you know, it's, it's a, it's a hard question um, because we don't know. There's so many things we don't know that's coming down the pike and this fall is going to be a really interesting time on, on many levels. I think for me, it's just going to be continuing to drop back to that routine that I've found that helps me. Um, it's going to be looking for a role when I'm ready to get back into contract work or maybe a full-time role that fits what I'm looking for. You know, this is a really tough job market and I know that and there are a lot of physical therapists out there who unfortunately have been laid off and don't have jobs. So I don't think that I'm going to be able to be as picky as maybe I would have been able to last year. But I want to find a role that speaks to me. I'd like to continue to grow on Maven and, you know, provide the services that I do as much as I can um, and just try to find balance. Yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty general, but, um, you know, enough clinical work where I feel like I'm really using what I went to school for and love enough movement in Pilates and things like that, that I feel like I'm helping people develop healthy habits but then also enough time for me that I feel like a whole person. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. So talking about the idea of, you know, are you a good friend to yourself? I think that we're really good, right? So your group calls in and one of your girls will say, Hey, I just did this. What do you think about this? And you're like, Oh, don't worry about it. Take a deep breath. Like that might have not have worked so well today, but you have ABCD. So we're not really fixing it, but we're kind of the pep talkers to our friends. Like, what would you tell yourself as your friend? Like what's your, you know, what do you need to tell yourself as your own best friend that you need to focus on or permissions or, or whatever it is? Um, cause I, I just think we're not good enough at being our own best friend. And I think that is something we all need to learn how to do. So you're your best friend. What would you, what would you say to yourself? Oh, it's so good. I, I, really, you know, I think I would say, the, what I say to all my friends, it's one thing at a time. Mm. It really is one thing at a time. Don't overdo it. 
you know, the sky isn't the limit, really. Like, you just do what you feel good about at that time. And I tend to be a workhorse. You've kind of mentioned it. You know, I can juggle all the things. And just doing what feel what feels good. Like, not everything's going to feel good. That's life. But, like, try to continue to set things up, as I've been trying to in the last year, that um, you can maintain your mental health and emotional health, you know, along with whatever you're doing. So take it slow, one thing at a time. Yeah. All right. Well, this is on a recording, so you could always hit replay, replay and hear that again when you when you need it. <laughs> I love getting to talk with you and, and hearing all this because I do know how amazing you've been and I know how how, you know, life ebbs and flows and, you know, it's never easy, but it's so lovely to see that you've stayed true to yourself. I think you're still authentic to who you are. And I love your realization of, of balance and that that's what's really going to fulfill you and keep you sane and whole to be able to do all the amazing things you want to do and just be, be your best you, right? I always say like, live your best life. And I feel like you've, as a 30 year old, put that in perspective of what you need to do to be able to live that. And it takes some people many years to figure that out. And you, you've always been wiser beyond your years. So I guess, I, I guess it's why at, at this stage you've, you've got it all, but wow, you've, you've imparted a lot of wisdom for, um, for some of us to now try to follow. Thank okay. you, Tammy. This has yeah. been absolutely wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's been so great. I mean, we do get to meet so many amazing people at Quinnipiac and you definitely have been someone who stayed in my heart and it's been so good to just watch you grow and flourish and to see, you know, all the things and, and fitness is our bond. Like I love it because a lot of people come to campus and they do teach, but you know, when they leave, they sort of go off and do their, I'm going to say in air quotes, their professional thing. And fitness was just a side gig in college, but you've kept true to all of that and found a way to really keep combining and kept coming back to it. And so that just, you know, makes me happy and proud uh, to have helped launch that. <laughs> Because we did. <laughs> We've had some fun over the years with movement. I hope we get, get to continue to overlap and work together. Who knows what will happen? But Absolutely. yeah, um, I really want to thank you for your time. You know, this podcast is about 40, 45 minutes, but Lauren has really given me her day. We have been together all day. So, <laughs> so thank you for everything you have shared and we will have information on how to follow Lauren with um, Maven and her telehealth and even her Pilates online. So that way, if you uh, are so moved, you can check her out and move with her and connect. So thank you, Lauren. I'm hugging you big. Thank you, Tammy. Right back at you. much gratitude to you, my friends, for tuning in. I'm hoping that you're finding something of value to put into your own life, wellness routines, and just the way that you can maybe live and strive to be a better version of you. It does take a village to do a podcast, so I need to give a shout out to Scott Holmes for the theme music, to Michael Bachman, the producer, to David DeRoche, the executive producer. And if you would like to learn more about Quinnipiac Podcasts, you can find us at qu.edu slash podcast. You can listen on your favorite platform or app, and you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at QU Podcasts. We are always open to getting an email from you with suggestions or feedback, and that can be sent to qupodcasts at qu.edu. I'm hoping that you'll stop by next week. I have my friend Fred Hoffman coming 
Fred is an international fitness consultant. He has also been a huge pioneer in the fitness industry with guidelines and regulations, creating manuals, working on boards of organizations. He is really a role model to all of us in the fitness industry. For the last 31 years, Fred has been living in Paris. So we will delve into what's happening over there, his perspective, and how he is keeping himself well during this trying time. So until then, be intentional, breathe deep, and be your best friend.